0: Please turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 1. Uh, we are back in the Gospel of John for a few weeks, at least. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51 will be our sermon text for this morning. And before we read that together, let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you. Uh, we come to you to receive from you as we have sung. And Father, we pray that you would pour out your Spirit on us, that you would open our eyes and ears and minds and hearts, uh, that you would give us wisdom from your word, that you would help us to see Jesus more clearly, uh, that you would uh, draw us to yourself by your Spirit, that you would exalt your Son, and that you would be glorified uh, this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 35. The the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. How do you encounter Jesus? Sometimes we read about encounters with Jesus in the Bible and we think, oh, how how lucky they were, right? If only I could have met Jesus like Andrew or Philip or Nathaniel, there are so many questions I would have asked. Or if only I could have met Jesus, then I could be sure of who he is. But what if I told you that you can encounter Jesus today, right here, right now? Now, some of you would likely be skeptical, uh, maybe you don't believe in God, or at least in a God who is personal, who engages and interacts with people. And some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, of course, right? If we can, if we can stir up everyone, right, with the, with the right music or the right emotions, right, then we'll really feel the Spirit's presence in our midst while encountering Jesus, uh, may stir up emotions in us. There is little to nothing in Scripture about, you know, feeling God through uh, the worship music. No, we, we can truly encounter Jesus today, right here, right now. But we do that not through emotional manipulation, but through God's Word. Some of you might groan at that. Okay, now you've turned meeting Jesus uh, into an intellectual exercise, right? If I just read the Bible the right way, then I can meet Jesus. Uh, Maybe you think I've moved from uh, some kind of an emotionalism to an intellectualism, Uh, but I don't think so. Actually, I think it's fairly mystical, right, that we read the Word of God and come into a direct encounter with the risen Christ, that the Spirit working with and through the Word brings us face to face with Jesus. That's not intellectualism. I think I could be better charged with mysticism than intellectualism, but I don't think it's mysticism either. It's, it's simply what old theologians called the means of grace. That God has given us certain means by which we encounter Christ and His grace. We're going to talk about how you encounter Jesus this morning, ultimately how you encounter Him in the Scriptures. And our outline, which you can see in your bulletin, is uh, four simple points. Come and see, behold Jesus, follow Him, and bring others. First, come and see. Uh, We've been out of the Gospel of John for a couple of weeks, so let me quickly bring you up to speed Uh, The Gospel of John was written by John the Apostle or John the Evangelist, he's sometimes called, hence the the title of the book is The Gospel or The Good News According to John. John is telling the story of Jesus, and he opens with kind of the the largest possible perspective on Jesus. He says in uh, the first few verses that Jesus is the Word of God who was with God and was God. He existed from the beginning but he became flesh in the person of Jesus. And John actually skips over what is so important in Matthew and Luke, the whole birth story of Jesus. He just skips it over altogether, and he skips straight to John the Baptist. Why does he do that? Well, John wants us to hear eyewitness testimony to Jesus. And so the last time we were uh, talking in uh, in the gospel of John, we looked at John chapter 1 verses 19 through 34, which records uh, John the Baptist's testimony to Jesus as as John the Baptist introduced Jesus to the world. And John continues to do that uh, in our text this morning. He's hanging out with a couple of his disciples. And when Jesus walks by, uh, John the Baptist again says, behold the Lamb of God. And two of John's disciples hear this, and they begin to go after Jesus. They follow Jesus. And Jesus asks them, what do you want? In other words, why are you following me? And they respond in a somewhat cryptic way. They say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Uh, Which may sound a bit creepy to us, but the point is they, they want to spend some time with this Jesus whom John has talked so much about. And Jesus responds simply, come and see. Now, one of them, Andrew, goes off and finds his brother, Peter, and he says, we have found the Messiah. And then he brings Peter to Jesus, at which point Jesus gives Peter a new name. Again, a little odd on your first encounter with someone, but we'll come back to that in a moment. Next, either Jesus or even possibly Andrew again, goes off and finds Philip, and Jesus says to Philip, simply follow me. At which point Philip goes off and finds Nathanael, and Nathanael can't believe anything good can come out of Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, and Philip simply says, come and see. You'll notice in rapid succession in these verses, Jesus goes from no disciples to five disciples, right? Andrew and some unnamed person, uh, Peter, Andrew's brother, and Philip and Nathanael all begin to follow Jesus. And the first thing I want you to notice in this story is the language of come and see. Jesus says it to the two disciples. Philip says it to Nathanael. We will hear it again in John chapter 4. The Samaritan woman will go back to her village and say to them in John four twenty nine, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Why this language of come and see? John knows that if people are going to come to believe in Jesus, they must come and see. Uh, Philip could talk all day long to Nathanael, but if Nathanael would only come and see Jesus for himself, then he would know. Uh, This is even more explicit in the story of the Samaritan woman in John 4, because uh, she says to her townspeople, come see, maybe this is the Christ. And many believe because of her testimony, but then they, they came and saw then they came to see him and many more believed, we're told. And they say in John four forty two, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Come and see is an, is an invitation to come to Jesus and see for yourself who he is. Now, when Jesus said it to the two disciples in John one thirty nine, he means really just, come and you'll see where I'm staying. And you might think, well, that, that's not quite the same thing. There's nothing profound about that. No radical call to discipleship and come and see where I'm staying. What difference does it make where Jesus was staying? Uh, but remember that, that John, in this gospel, he's, he just said back in verse 14 of this chapter that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what do these men do? They, they confirm that very thing. They, they go. They see where Jesus was staying. They, they're the first eyewitnesses to Jesus dwelling among us, as it were. They stay with him from, from about 4 o'clock onward. And the specificity of the time there, the 10th the hour, uh, is one of those great eyewitness details, right, that, that, that is only there to remind us that this stuff really happened, that the person telling the story remembers what time it was when they first came to where Jesus was staying, as you or I might remember, right, the time when we first came to know Jesus. Why does, G, why does John then uh, front load in, in, here in John 1 and also in John 4 uh, his gospel with this language of come and see? I think as we begin reading John's gospel, John is saying to us, come and see, uh, you might think, well, that's great, Luke, but, uh, but we can't come and see. Uh, we can't follow Jesus to where he was staying like the two disciples. We can't walk up to Jesus like Nathaniel and talk to him face to face. What good does it do for John to say to us, come and see? How do we today come and see? Well, we'll just think. Think about the, the, the gospel writer. Think about the writer of this book, John. What is John saying to his readers When he says, come and see, what he's saying to them is keep reading, right? Listen to the story, receive this eyewitness testimony to Jesus, follow along and you too will come and see. No, not in the exact same way, but through the eyewitnesses, through those who saw and heard, we can see and hear, John is saying, come and see. We we can put that as a broader principle. Of course, We we encounter Jesus in the scriptures, uh, we come and see as we come to God's word and open it up and listen and hear. Uh, that's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. It talks about beholding the glory of Jesus. Well, where do we do that? Uh, well, verse uh, 15 of 2 Corinthians 3 says, whenever Moses is read, right? if, if a veil, uh, the veil over our hearts has been removed, Paul says, we behold the glory of God in the scriptures, Again, this is is no mere intellectualism. It is beholding the glory of God. It is seeing the face of Jesus by the power of the Spirit on the pages of God's Word. How do we come and see through Scripture? That's what we are doing right now, right? Even as we come to God's Word, we are coming to God and saying, "'Show us Jesus. Help us to see Jesus.'" Well, we might also ask, why, right? Why does John want us to come and see? And the answer to that is that we might believe. That's what John himself tells us at the end of his gospel in John chapter 20. uh, We read uh, John 20, verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, what we truly need is an encounter with the risen Jesus. Not, not, I'm not dismissing whatever issues you may be facing, whatever struggles you may have, whatever doubts or insecurities or fears, but what will bring you life is not sorting out all your problems. What brings us life, John tells us, is believing in Jesus. That gives us life in His name. And so come and see, right? Come and see for yourself. Yes, Jesus is bodily absent. He's not standing up here before us today, but he is present by his spirit and his spirit is at work through his word. Can we see God work in other ways? Of course we can, yes. God is at work through words, his word and sacraments and prayer. God is at work in and through his church. But what John is doing as he writes is he's inviting his readers into this book. He's saying, come and see Jesus in the rest of this book. Keep your eyes open as you read. And, of course, if if you're one sitting here and you're not sure who Jesus is and you're wondering, that's okay, right? Keep coming, right? Keep coming. Come and see. So first, come and see. Second, behold Jesus. Who is the Jesus that we will see as we come and see? What is the message of these eyewitnesses? Um, th- th- if you uh, look throughout the passage we read a moment ago, there are at least half a dozen titles for Jesus in this section. Uh, but we can summarize them under three. Jesus is the Lamb of God, Jesus is the King of Israel, and Jesus is the Son of Man. Uh, first, Jesus is the Lamb of God. John 1.36 again, John the Baptist says of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God. Earlier, he had said in verse 29, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't know how much John understood, but when you start talking about lambs and removing sin in Scripture, you are talking about sacrifice and substitution. One thing dying in the place of another, a sacrificial lamb. Whether John fully got that or not, that is what he said, and that is who Jesus is. Jesus came as the Lamb of God to die in our place, to remove our sin, to reconcile us to the Father. And John, the, the apostle, the gospel writer, is, uh, will talk about this again in what is probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture, in John 3.16, where he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, what does it mean that the Son was given? He was given as a sacrifice for sin, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is the Lamb of God. If you behold and believe, you too will find life as it was meant to be, life in the Lamb. second, Jesus is the King of Israel. This is mentioned multiple times, actually, in our passage in different ways. Uh, Andrew says to his brother, we have found the Messiah, the Christ. Messiah means anointed one. And most often when Jewish people of the first century mentioned the Messiah, they meant the coming king of Israel, the anointed king, whom they thought would come and defeat Rome and restore Jerusalem to her former glory. But Philip says to Nathaniel in verse 45, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, which is just another way of speaking about the same person, right? Moses wrote about future kings of Israel in Deuteronomy 17. The prophets wrote about the coming son of David who would sit on the throne. And then we come to Nathaniel. Oh, Nathanael. Right, when, when Philip first tells him, we have found the one Moses and the prophets wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, Nathaniel says, come on, really? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That little town? That little, little bit of nowhere? And when he finally comes to Jesus, Jesus says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Which I think means, here's a guy who says what he thinks. He's not afraid to speak his mind, even when he's wrong. I think Jesus is playing with him a little bit. But Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Why Why are you giving me such praise? And Jesus says simply, I saw you earlier under the fig tree. Now by Nathaniel's reaction, we have to assume that this is a place Jesus would not have seen, could not have seen, not physically anyway. And so Nathanael is astonished, and and he believes what Philip told him and says, Rabbi, which is just an honorary title for a teacher, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. We'll come to Jesus' response in a moment, but here again, someone is explicitly proclaiming Jesus as the King of Israel. Even the title Son of God on Nathanael's lips is probably just another phrase for King of Israel. In 2 Samuel 7, God promised that he would take one of David's descendants and treat him as his own son. And so the phrase son of God is a phrase that referred to the king of Israel in the line of David, the one who would come and reign. Now, of course, John the apostle knows better and we know better. Jesus is the Son of God, yes, as a son of David who sits on the throne, but he is also the Son of God as the unique one, the second person of the Trinity, the Word made flesh, God the Son. But what we have here is Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel. they they are looking for a king to come, a king to come and defeat Rome. They want an, an earthly restoration of Israel, but Jesus came as the king of Israel to restore heaven and earth. His kingship is is not limited to a plot of land in Palestine because he is not merely the son of David, but he is the son of God. His kingdom is not of this world. His throne is not in Jerusalem but in heaven where he now reigns at the Father's right hand. And so Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the king of Israel who reigns in heaven to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Third, Jesus is the son of man. Nathanael was pretty easily convinced, and you can almost just see him shaking his head. Wow, right? You, you saw all that. You're amazing. But Jesus says to him, wait a minute, you believe because of that? Really? That's, that's all it took, Nathanael? You will see greater things than these. And then he says this in John 1, 51, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Kind of odd thing to say. But Jesus is here bringing together two Old Testament pictures. In Genesis 28, Jacob has a dream of a ladder that goes up to heaven, and he sees angels going and up and down on that ladder. And God speaks to Jacob in that dream, and in the morning he names the place Bethel, the house of God, the gate of heaven. In other words, this is the place where God met with man. Jesus says, that's me. Uh, There's there's no other way into heaven but by me. I am the the ladder. I am the gate. I am the connection between heaven and earth. Jesus said, as Jesus would say later in John 14, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way to the Father. But Jesus refers to himself here as the Son of Man as well. And that imagery comes from a different book in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And there, in Daniel 7, one, like a son of man, draws near to the throne of God to receive the kingdom. And within Daniel 7, the son of man is this kind of uh, quasi-divine figure who represents the people of God. But here's what Jesus says. He says, I am the son of man. I am the the true people of God. I I represent the true people of God. I am the one who receives the kingdom in fullness. By referring to himself in this way, Jesus is saying, your your understanding of the kingdom of Israel and the king of Israel is too small. I'm more than what you can imagine. And So within the space of 17 verses, Jesus is called the Lamb of God, the Messiah, him of whom Moses and the prophets wrote, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Son of Man, and implied the gate of heaven. Now John is throwing all of that at us at once, Uh, He doesn't expect us to get it all right away. He's going to unpack many of these things as he goes on in the gospel. But again, he would just say, come and see. Come and see. Keep coming. Keep listening. Keep reading until you not only come and see, but you behold and believe in who this Jesus is. So come and see. Behold Jesus. Third, follow him. Encountering Jesus never leaves us the same. Uh, Think think first about the Peter story. Uh, Can you imagine someone coming up to you for the first time and saying, you will no longer be Jim or John or Frank, but from now on, I'm going to call you Alexander. The the audacity, right? Uh, But that seems to be what Jesus does, right? He comes up to Peter for the first time and he immediately renames him. Now, Peter's story is unique. unique. Uh, There's only one Peter, but there is a larger pattern here, is there not? Uh, You you know you've encountered Jesus when he begins to mess with your life. Uh, Jesus doesn't come to save us in our sin. He comes to save us from our sin. Uh, Jesus doesn't come to leave us as we are. He comes to transform us into what we were always meant to be. Jesus doesn't come to say, "Your, your life is pretty much headed in the right direction. Keep going. You're all good. No, he says, follow me. It starts out easy in our text, right? The two disciples of John the Baptist hear what John says about Jesus, and they turn and follow him, right? Nothing profound there. They they just literally walk after him. Then Jesus meets Philip and says, follow me. And we get the sense that Jesus means something more than walk behind me. Later, Jesus will say in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And the gospel will will practically end uh, with Jesus predicting Peter's death and say to him, whatever happens, follow me. And regardless of what happens to anyone else, he emphasizes to Peter, you follow me. You see, when we come to Jesus, when we see who he is, when we behold the lamb and believe, uh, Jesus is not content with us seeing, beholding, and believing, and then just moving on with the, the rest of our lives. Jesus has the audacity to call Simon Peter, and he has the audacity to call Philip to follow him, and he has the audacity to call you and me to follow him as well because he is the Lamb of God. He is the King of Israel. He is the Son of Man. He is seated on God's throne in heaven, ruling over heaven and earth, and so he calls us to follow him. You right now, sitting in your seat, right, Jesus is calling you to follow him. Jesus doesn't call us into a life of, of, quote, religion or rules, though Christianity is a religion, and, and there are rules, right? There, there are ten, at least, ten commandments. No, Jesus calls us, though, to follow him, right? To follow himself. We become followers of a person. And that person is not, not any of the great people of the past, right? It's, it's not John Calvin or Billy Graham or Tim Keller, right? certainly not me. But Jesus, our lives, our whole lives are about following him, What does it mean to follow? It means every aspect of my life is now guided by Jesus, by his life and his words. I value what he values. I treat people the way he wants me to treat people. I take up my cross and follow him. I do what he does, but in my own context, and my own circumstances, in light of my own calling in life. Are you following Jesus? Have you seen who he is, but your life is still pretty much your own? Or have you heard the call to follow, but you're not really sure what that means for you in your circumstances? Well, if you're not sure, ask other people to help you figure it out. What does it look like to follow Jesus here and now? Ask the, the, the people around you. Ask other people in the church. Seek wisdom from those who are older or more mature in the faith. Jesus calls us to follow him. We, we won't do that perfectly, but we're called to do it in whatever situation we find ourselves to stop living life as if I am at the center and to begin following Jesus, my Lamb, my King, and my God. And so come and see, behold Jesus, follow him, and four, bring others. You know, one way of looking at this text and actually quite a bit of John is as an example of evangelism. There's actually a book on evangelism based on John's gospel And John is encouraging us to listen to the eyewitness testimony of people like John the Baptist and the early disciples and, of course, himself. Now, we can't give that same testimony, right? We we are not eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. We didn't see him come out of the grave. But nevertheless, we see here at least four ways we can point others to Jesus through biblical proclamation, through personal testimony— through personal invitation, and through the call to discipleship. Uh, right? Think about it. John the Baptist, he, he proclaims Jesus as the Lamb of God, echoing the whole Old Testament and its sacrificial system. Jesus echoes the story of Jacob's ladder and references Daniel's story of the Son of Man. And one way of pointing others to Jesus is simply by recounting the stories and images of Scripture and showing how they point forward to Jesus. That's of course what I try to do every week, and, and of course it's it's most obvious in preaching, and it, it is a large part of the formal ministry of the church. But it happens any times any of us open up the Bible for someone else and help them see Jesus in the Scriptures. But we also find in these verses not only uh, John the Baptist proclaiming what the Scriptures say, but we also see examples of personal testimony. In verses 41 and 45, Andrew and Philip, they go to someone they know and they say, we have found, we have found the Messiah. We have found the one of whom Moses wrote. And they share with someone else what has happened to them. Look, look at what we found. Look at what happened. Now, their experience is not the end. Uh, the truth is lots of people, Christian and non, have experiences that they can share. But, but here, they're sharing their story as a pathway to pointing others to Jesus. And when we share our experience with others, it, it's, it's not that every conversation has to end with Jesus, but no one can be saved simply by hearing about our experience. They must hear about Jesus. They must encounter Jesus for, him, for themselves through his word. And yet sharing your story, right, which for many of us is a lot easier than biblical proclamation, right? Sharing your story can be a means to that end. You, you start simply with what Jesus has done for you. And so we have biblical proclamation here and personal testimony and also personal invitation. Again, we come back to the words, come and see. Uh, one way of bringing others to Jesus is, is just inviting them to come. Now, again, that's going to look a bit different than it does with Andrew or Philip. But we can invite people to, to read the Bible with us. Or we can invite people to join us for church. And When people say, I'm not so sure about all this religion stuff, we can say, come and see. Check it out. Let's read the Bible together, or or why not join me for church on Sunday, or why not come to this Bible study with me? So we have biblical proclamation and personal testimony and personal invitation, and finally the call to discipleship. Jesus' words to Philip are straightforward. He says, follow me. Most of us aren't that bold, right? We like to come in the side door, uh, but sometimes people need it straight, right? Here's what Jesus calls you to do, repent and believe and follow Jesus, Sometimes people have heard the stories a thousand times, but they've never taken that decisive step, and they need to hear the call to discipleship. We must respond to the message of the gospel, repent, believe, and obey. Sometimes people need to be called to act. And notice something else from all of these different encounters with Jesus. Not every encounter is the same, right? No two are exactly alike. We're all different in the way Jesus draws us to himself, and we're all different in the way we will bring people to Jesus in the role that we play, and that's okay, right? The important point is not following one set program, but that we come to Jesus, and we do what we can to bring others also. Now, if you have not yet come to Jesus, right, you can come now. You can hear his word, you can hear who he is, and you can come, and you can believe in him, and you can follow him, and then you can go out and invite others to do the same. Let's pray to that end. Our Father, we do pray that you would help us to see Jesus in the scriptures. We pray that you would show us Jesus in all of his glory. We pray that you would draw us to him by your spirit. You would enable us by your spirit to believe in him and to follow him and to invite others to do the same for your honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.